turning tonight with me, please, in the Word of God to the Gospel of Matthew and to the chapter 8. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8. Reading from verse 1, Matthew 8 and the verse 1. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leopard and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thy clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Jesus saith unto him, See thy tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. When Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof. But speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, Go when he goeth, and to another, Come when he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall, shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way. And as thou wast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the self-same hour. When Jesus was come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother led, sick of a fever, and he touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she arose and ministered unto them. When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities, and bare our sicknesses. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing onto the reading of his word tonight. Let's bow together in further prayer. Heavenly Father, again we call upon Thy name, and we pray that Thou will be near us, 
and the devil reach out and touch all of our hearts. We do need a word from thyself. We need a touch from thy hand. We need to be led further and deeper with thyself. We need to know comfort that is not of a human variety, but rather divine. And so we ask the double travel with us tonight. Bless us now in our meditation on thy word and guide, so that the word may be of real profit unto all hearts. In Jesus' name and to thine eternal glory alone we pray. Amen. Taking the topic tonight, the commendations of Christ. And as you'll see, number one, so it indicates there will be some others coming along, God willing, in the future. As you know, I was leading a youth council group on a mission of encouragement trip to the Liberal Congregation over the last weekend, and we had 14 young people from the various churches, and they gave their time and gave their talents in order to come along and conduct gospel outreach in the city of Liverpool. And on the Saturday, we went out into the open air, had a couple of open airs in that city centre. Tracts were distributed uh, to all who would receive them uh, during the time that we were in that city centre. Then we were planning another meeting on the uh, Saturday night, and we had another one back at the hotel when we all arrived there, and a bit of a quiz and a time of fellowship and singing, etc. And the schedule was that on the Lord's Day, we'd go back and we'd conduct both services in Salop Chapel, Liverpool Free Presbyterian Church on that occasion. Now, although the morning of the Lord's Day was a bit of a downpour, uh, still, we went out across from the church, uh, kept Goodison Park, the Everton Stadium, on our right-hand side, and did all of the little streets that went right down onto the county road in Liverpool, the main road or thoroughfare in that part of the city. And for virtually an hour, the young people were there getting soaked, but putting in leaflets and invitations in a very tight-knit community in that particular part of the city. I must say the young people were absolutely brilliant. And in days when the tendency seems to be that we can grumble about our young people and we say, you know, they're not of the caliber and they don't measure up to the standard of former years and those in generations gone by, this group of young people, like so many others, they proved themselves to be the kind of young people that would shine in any and all generations. I loved being with them. Really appreciated the unity that they enjoyed between each other, the enthusiasm they showed, the participation in which they were only too happy to be involved in whatever was asked of them, and that burning zeal in everything to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope that they felt that their efforts were thoroughly appreciated, which has brought me today to the thought of commendation. It's so easy to lace our language with criticism, 
And many times we're doing it even when we're not quite aware. That's the track we've chosen. But what about commendation? And that's why over the next number of weeks, God willing, we're going to turn the spotlight on a number of instances where our Lord Jesus Christ highly commended individuals and also did the same for groups of people. And I think His pattern is very much one that we should follow and even pray, Lord, don't allow me to be a critic. Help me to be one who commands where we see people doing their utmost by grace to go on with God. The first up is the centurion that we read about in Matthew 8, the verse 5 through to the verse 13. And we have this official in the Roman army. He's a hundred men under him, and he has evidently heard somewhere about Jesus and his divine ability. Possibly he has even witnessed one or some of his miracles. What is certain is he had become convinced of something, that Christ was the one sent by God to be the Savior of men. And this centurion had a problem at home. He had a servant there who he loved very much, but that servant was ill. In fact, Luke tells us here, and he's the doctor, so his assessment carries great weight even on the human level. He said in Luke 7 and 2 that this servant was ready to die. So the need is pressing. And this centurion comes and he runs to plead with Jesus that he will come and heal his friend. So, first of all, we have the request that he made. You'll find it in Matthew 8, the verse 5, and also the verse 6. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And here he acknowledged we have a case that is so desperate. Only the Lord Jesus Christ could help. This matter, it is absolutely urgent. So he goes to the one place where he knows help could be found. None but Jesus could help him here. And maybe you and I are coming to the meeting tonight, or we're coming and we're conscious of a friend, like this centurion had this friend, his servant, and they have a need. And they need help. Maybe a problem in business, domestic crisis, maybe someone who is ill, maybe a bereavement, financial or spiritual need. We've mentioned two young couples already in prayer tonight, who will, in the not-too-distant future, be conducting the funeral services for sons that they never got to say hello to, but are certainly having to say goodbye to, both babies stillborn. And we think of Matthew and Lauren in Ballymena, and how they grieve over that little boy, Noah. We think of Reverend Higgins up in Limavady, his wife, Leanne, 
And again on Monday, they too lost their son, stillborn. And here's the challenge. Have we brought our need to the Lord Jesus? Are we running, keeping pace with a centurion, to the one who has told us by way of invitation, Matthew eleven twenty eight, come on to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And here's a centurion, and he feels the weight of the extremity in his home, that he's out of his home, and he's getting to Christ, and he's pleading for help. As Horatius Bonner said, I found in him a resting place, and we will find a resting place nowhere else outside of Christ. So we have the request that he made. Then the response that he received would be an obvious and logical point to look for here in the chapter, and in verse 7 we are provided with that, and Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. Without a second of hesitation, without consultation with his own heart and mind, the Lord is saying, all right, I will go and touch this servant. I'll restore his health. And that is our Lord's attitude towards all who come to him carrying their needs. Thank God we have His promises, and many, many promises in the Word, a whole variety of needs that are covered by suitable, tailor-made promises. For example, if we need salvation, then there's a promise for that. Many of them in John 10 and 9, that's one example where the Lord said that He is the door, and all who will come to Him, well, He will save them, enter into the kingdom by faith in Christ through repentance of our sin. And He tells us, take my word in faith and enter in. If our need is cleansing, then Mark 1, the verse 40 and 41, we have a leper coming to Christ, and he's looking for cleansing, and he's saying to the Lord, I am confident in your ability, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And immediately Jesus says again, I'm willing, be clean. And just as that man received cleansing from his leprosy, so we receive it for our sin, First John 1 and 7. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Salvation a need, cleansing a need, guidance a need. As God's people, we need guided all the time. And that precise guidance is our Lord's speciality, and He puts His finger on that in Psalm 32 and 8, I will guide thee with mine eye. Deliverance from trials and troubles, 2 Timothy 4 and the verse 18, and the Lord, Paul says here, the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and shall preserve me unto His heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. If our need is different and it's for fruitfulness and we feel the barrenness around us and we want to make an impact and do something more for God, His promises 
Come to me, rest your entire trust in me, and those blessings from heaven will flow through you like rivers of living water, John 7, 37 and 38. If we need illumination, and of course we do, otherwise the path that is dark stays dark. The psalmist said, in thy light shall we see light, and only in Christ's illumination, he is the light of the world, John 8 and 12, shall we be able to walk in the light and not in darkness. If we need victory, then the Savior tells us in John 16 and 33, and he's already set the scene that the world is a difficult place. The world is a place where we carry many burdens, our way down, have much opposition he says, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, victoring through the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we get the picture, whatever our need might be, whatever the extent of that need is, Christ is saying to us, as He did here in verse 7, I will, and He promises that He will meet our needs by His mighty power. So we have, first of all, the request He made, followed by the response He received. And then thirdly, notice also the reliance he showed. In verse 8 to 9 of Matthew 8, that's where we are now, and there are at least three things. You'll probably spot a lot more, but we're highlighting three things emerging here as very significant in these two verses. First of all, there is his admission. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy. The die should have come under my roof. But speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. He's admitting his own unworthiness. Lord, I'm a sinful man. I can't keep this company with divinity. I don't measure interesting insight in the parallel passage over in Luke 7, verse 6 and 7, then Jesus went with them, and when He was now not far from the house, closing in in this location, the centurion sent friends to Him, saying unto Him, Lord, trouble not Thyself, for I am not worthy that Thou shouldest enter under My roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. And here is the right way, the proper manner in which to come before the Lord, fully aware that we have no merit of our own, no worthiness at all. There are other examples in the word of this. For example, Peter in Luke 5 and 8 when he says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I can't be in thy company. Not only be comfortable, but not be condemned. Prodigal son. In Luke 15, the verse 18 and 19, it's how he came. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Just treat me as one of the hired servants. I'm not on the level that I should be. I've fallen far from that. And that's our admission too, is it not? 
We're not coming looking for help because we deserve it, despite the fact we do not deserve it. We are desperate and we need it. Admission. Not only admission, notice another factor that appears in verse 8 and 9 of Matthew chapter 8. We have assurance here. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that I shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. What faith is this? Lord, just say the word. That'll be all it will take. You needn't come. You needn't even enter into my house. You can just stand there, even at a distance from where we are, and say the word, and the miracle will happen. In Psalm 107, verse 20, we're assured He sent His word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. We're told in Ecclesiastes 8 and 4, where the word of a king is, there is power. The disciples, when challenged, are you going to do what all the rest of the mob have done, what the crowds have done? They've disappeared. They've disappeared in front of my eyes. Are you also going to go away? Jesus asked them, Lord, to whom else can we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and that's the word we need to hear. So we have admission, we have assurance. Not only that, there's an argument the man puts up here. He engages in some very intelligent reason. And you'll find that in verse 9, For I am a man, he said, under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, Go when he goeth, and to another come and he cometh, and to my servant do this, and he doeth it. A centurion. He had authority over men, but he was only a centurion. He too himself was under authority also. And he recognized here in the operation and outworking of the Godhead by God's eternal divine plan for the purposes of man's salvation and blessing, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God upon the earth, had voluntarily put himself under the authority of God the Father. And of course, God the Father had given to him all authority, all power, and all authority. And when our Lord, with this authority and power, when he sees the man's great faith, he speaks this word of commendation. And so we have that fourthly. First of all, the request he made, the response he received, the reliance he showed, the recognition he heard. We're looking at verse 10 through 12 at this point in Matthew chapter 8. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into utter darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so this Roman soldier, a Gentile, he had greater faith, Jesus was saying, than many of the Jews around him that day. 
The challenge is, why do you and I not trust Him more? We have more to encourage us than this centurion ever had. We have what he didn't have, the Bible in our own language. We have the Holy Spirit as believers living in our hearts. We have the testimony of God's people all around us who through the generations are saying to us, we have proved the Lord, and we can tell you He is able and willing to answer prayer. And we can read about David Brainard, and we can read about George Mueller, and we can read about these men and women of faith who depended entirely upon God, who it seemed in human circumstances and by mortal sight, it appeared that their lives were hanging by a thread. Only God could help. And as they prayed, He did. Why not trust Him more? Sadly, we often doubt Him, and He has to say, as He did in Luke 8 and 25, where is thy faith? Where is thy faith? Finally, the request he made, the response he received, the reliance he showed, the recognition he heard, the result. He witnessed. Our Lord says to the centurion in verse 13 that if he went, it would be exactly exactly as he had requested. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And a servant was healed in the self-same hour. He was saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. If the Lord should answer us by the measure of our faith, How far would we travel? How much blessing would we receive? Because the measure of our faith determines the measure of God's blessing. Little faith, little blessing, more faith, more blessing, great faith, great blessing. Our Lord underlines that in Mark 9 and verse 24, where He draws attention to those who were pleading with Him in the middle of their need, and He highlights the fact that they themselves acknowledge we need more faith. Lord, I believe. Help Thy my unbelief. In Luke 17 and 5, the disciples, in unison, their pleading increase our faith. The centurion had tremendous faith, and he finds the servant. He had been healed at the very hour when Jesus spoke the word, and give assurance that it will be done even as he had asked. I think of another parallel passage, I guess, or an illustration of this. In Mark eleven twenty-two. And the Lord and His disciples had been passing by the previous day, seen the big fake fig tree, condemned it, 
The next day as he passed by, oh, look at that fig tree. It's dried up from the roots. And our Lord took that circumstance to apply the message, have faith in God. And in our day, where faith is at a premium and at a low ebb, here's a centurion appearing onto the page of Scripture, lifted up as a picture by Jesus, an example for us to exercise our faith in the Lord. And there's a commendation for it. Let's read that commendation again in verse 10. When Jesus heard it, He marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. May He find it with you. May He find it with me. You'll remember last week we had, at this time, our workshop going through the consultation on the RSE. And we had a tremendous turnout. I was really encouraged by that. And uh, I know it probably wasn't exactly everybody's cup of tea, and it was difficult and whatnot to fill it in, but we got there. That's the picture from last week. You may recognize yourself. And the various options that we had as we divided into the four groups. Four tables, ten at each table virtually. And with a couple more additional consultation completions, it means that from this church, not one, not two, not three, or four, but over 40 completed consultations have gone out. Now, if you should extrapolate that through the presbytery, which I think is a very good template to follow, then you'd be touching 1,000 and then 2,000 and more submissions. And maybe that's a way to do battle and bombard those offices coming out with their proposals. But I'm very gratified. I'd like to thank you very much for doing that. And if you weren't able to make it, there's a couple more days, 25th, 24th maybe the deadline. So make sure you have it in, please. And just to show that those that were handwritten on the night, uh, they were gathered up in the main, and Dean delivered them the very next day to Rathgale House in Bangor. And I did say to him, send me a photograph. I need evidence. Not that I doubted he would do it, but it's always assuring when we can show the photograph and say, this is all part of the plan and the purpose in it. And he got a receipt for the 19 that were handed in by hand, and then the others that were filled in on the night, and some others that were posted individually by people. Now, I've got a placement photograph here, and that is what we're going to do now is 
show you a compilation. It'll give you a flavor of what happened over the weekend. That's the Liverpool Free Presbyterian Church, Salop Chapel, on Spillow Lane in Liverpool. And one of the girls who was with us, actually a, a Bible college student, Esther McKee, took a lot of video. And then what she did, she put them into a presentation here. And if I could say regarding the presentation, just this, the singing you hear, you know the way you get background music and you're thinking, can this be used? Well, this music certainly can be used because it's the very same young people singing that you will have featured in the various clips. So I'm hoping it works okay.
So it was a privilege to um, be part of the group, and along with our brother Mark McClintock from Ballymena, uh, who was the organizer on the Youth Council side. Uh, he got a, a bus uh, borrowed from over there. Didn't tell me I was to be the driver until the bus was delivered on uh, the mid-Saturday afternoon. Uh, because I'd always seen him come down here, and he was driving a bus for uh, some of the Ballymena young people. And then he said, "Ah, oh, brother, there's only one bus in Ballymena that I can drive. It's a wee Mercedes. I haven't got a license for that bigger one. So uh, I'm thinking, right, it's a while since I've driven a bus, because as you probably know, I'm not allowed to drive buses here, because I'm an employee of the church, so I can't drive a bus for martyrs. That same law would allow me to go around the corner and drive Mount Marion's bus for them, but not, not for here. So we had an interesting time, and um, it went really well, and I can't praise the young people highly enough for their endeavor and their excitement uh, over the weekend, which made it extremely enjoyable. So we're coming to prayer, and I have to leave because I've... Um, Presbytery officers' meeting. I need to be there at quarter past nine. So, if our brother Morris can uh, close the meeting at the appropriate time, then please do. I'll begin with prayer now. Heavenly Father, to thee we come. We thank thee for the example of faith that we've been studying tonight, this centurion. I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. We thank the Lord for the faith that we saw on display over the weekend from these young people, and for putting legs to that faith and going out in activity to magnify and glorify Thy name. We pray that Thou will bless each one of them the churches they come from, those that they help, and we ask that Thou wilt abundantly prosper them, lead them, and guide them in the days to come. We know that like Uzzah, we can sometimes tremble for the safety of the ark, because we're losing sight of Thee and we're focusing on man. But Lord, we praise Thee that Thou hast a remnant in every age, and a people loyal to Thy truth. And we pray that when we see young people like this, and they're going on their mission of encouragement to Liverpool, we pray that we will step up to the mark and encourage them. May we set a good example. May we not be carping on the sidelines, but commending them for their zeal and earnestness. We pray that I will work right through the young people of the Free Church. We pray that I will preserve them from evil, that our Lord will keep them burning for Christ. And may we, Lord, see things done in days to come that were not even seen in days before. That can happen. We believe it can. 
the work is thine. The building work of thy church is thine. It is thy plan and thy purpose. Thou art not going to suspend that building program. For thou hast said, Behold thy promise, I will build my church. And even when the gates of hell look formidable, they will not stand against it. And so we pray that I will encourage our hearts tonight. Help us, Lord, to exercise the ministry of encouragement to those who are ill and broken and bereaved at this time. We think of those in our own fellowship who are feeling the heat of the day. We pray for Hugh and Naomi, and may they know Thy help especially right now. Help them to be of real comfort as their hearts break too into this situation where many tears will flow. I pray that I will bless our brother Reverend Higgins in Limavady, separated from his family way over in Australia. May he feel the comfort of the Holy One and his wife Leanne as well at this time. Reach into the Balamina congregation. And we think of this similar tragedy having now occurred three times within just over a year. We ask that thou wilt abundantly bless there, and may Reverence Greer and Stuart know help as they operate in these troublous times. And sometimes we wonder, what can we say? What can we do to help? But may they be like old Bishop Mool who, when that Durham Colliery disaster happened, went along with that bookmark that fell at his feet, tangled threads on one side, but it spelled out God is love on the other. And we thank Thee that even in the middle of life's tragedies, God doesn't change. Thou hast said, I shall not change, my years shall not fail and thou art still loving it all. May all of these folk feel thy love tonight. And we pray that we will do what we can to uphold and support and encourage. And may we pray. Come and answer prayer. Do us good tonight. And may this prayer time be blessed of thee. For Jesus' sake. Amen.